Stop it. Stop it. Oh my god, I hate you so much. Dude, this I've never heard myself. Holy shit. Is my car gonna get stolen? Is my car gonna get stolen? Turn it off. Cut it out. I was just putting it on my Instagram story. Oh. <laughs> How was your margarita? Nasty. It was delicious. It was so nasty. Don't smoke your vape thing in here. Monty has his little lungs and he'll get hurt. He doesn't give a shit. It's not good for him, his little cat lungs. (coughs) (coughs) Oh my god. Ouch. (coughs) That hurt my throat. Don't put that in the. That's what she said. Don't put that in the. I'm gonna. No, please don't. I'm gonna. I'm asking you not to. Well, get this fucking cord out. Of as my co- as co-host of this podcast, I would like to you to not do that. Well, as editor of this podcast, I'm going to disagree. All right. Um. So, <laughs> Nido virus question. <laughs> Come on, you bitch, Nido virus. Let's do this. What's up, buddy? What's up, man? Where's your car? At Lenopolera. He's had a couple margaritas, so... We're about to record a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I sold it for tacos. Okay. (coughs) What episode is this? Jesus. That's why you should not smoke that crap. It's bad for you. I don't know. 31? What? You asked me No, this is 32. One. Oh, okay. Well, I couldn't remember. All right. Welcome, everybody. This is episode 32 of the Herpeticulture Podcast. I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And I'm Jacob Ross of JLB Morelia. And before we get into this episode, I wanted to remind everybody to please subscribe via SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and your local margarita bar. <laughs> Justin's had uh, Justin had a little too fun. Boy, with the, I'm feeling with the, good with the margaritas as a mf'er. Feeling good as fuck. I feel like I'm floating on a cloud. It's real good, man. Please support the podcast. Check out our Teespring store. We have a handful of cool designs. We actually. Decided to redo how we do our t-shirt things now. We were originally only going to do like a design a month. And then we said, you know what? We're going to upload designs as we make them. Post about them regularly. Yeah. People can decide if they like a design or not and buy it. It's going to be an ongoing thing. Uh, We're going to do several different uh, shirt designs. There's a rattlesnake one. We got some mugs too. There's an axolotl one, one, which I thought was pretty clever. Yeah, just (laughs) thinks it's funny. I thought of it. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm so done with you right now. And then uh-huh. we got the Cobra one. There's one that has a picture of a Indian spectacle and it says Naja on it. However you want to pronounce that. <clears throat> Naya, Naja, tomato, tomato. I've heard, I've heard of Naha. Naha? That's the Naha. Hispanic pronunciation. I, mean, I don't know. I'm just going Naha. Over. Just going off what I've... Anyways. So shirts. There's some mugs. Um, women's and men's available in the shirts. A couple of different colors. Um, check it out. You can find it on our Facebook page at the Herpeticulture Podcast. Uh, this week... We have another Nidovirus question, and this one is actually from me because I don't—I haven't seen anybody ask it yet, and I'm pretty proud of it. You say as you look at me disapprovingly. Anyways, my question was, is there a reason Nidovirus affects slash is found in Boyd's and not Colubrids? You want to read this one? Do I need to read it? No. Do you want me to read it? It's up to you. I can read it. You know how to read? I mean, can you can you see can you see one line of? Yes, I can see fine. Can you see Jesus. straight? All right, well then. All right, you want to read it. Read it. Another great question. This is from Doctor Susan. Um, let's see here. <clears throat> All right. So from Fishhead Labs, Fishhead Diagnostics. Check them out on Facebook and Instagram. Another great question. Unfortunately, the answer to this question is not clear as is not as clear as last week's question. Since nidovirus is a newly discovered virus, <clears throat> there are many characteristics of the virus that we are still investigating. This includes the range of species that the virus can infect and how it clinically presents itself in new species. With the advent of specialized testing techniques, new host species are currently being discovered and characterized. Characterized. I could do audiobooks. My voice is so sultry. Let's just finish. The Do you question. like it? Let's finish the question. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Just keep, I apologize. Let's, let's keep it on drag. This is my Friday, dude. I'm off tomorrow. You're off well, tomorrow. Kinda, oh. For most of the day. That's neither here nor there. We should finish We're the answering nidovirus questions yes, right now, are. Jake. Stay on topic. Thank you. Yeah, this is my fault. In short. We do not know if nidovirus affects more boids than colubrids, or if there have just been more boids submitted for testing. What we do know is that over the last few years, more species have been found positive through using nidovirus PCR. This has included some colubrids identified by next-gen sequencing. Even though the virus has been identified in these species, we still need to investigate what a positive test means, such as, does it cause disease in these species, can they transmit the virus to other species, or are they considered carriers of the virus? In addition to new species, within the past year, a turtle species, the Bellinger River Snapping Turtle, was discovered with nidovirus after a large-scale morality event. Mortality event. Not morality. Not morality. (laughs) A large-scale mortality event in the coastal river of New South Wales, Australia. The current literature on nidovirus in snakes is heavily focused on ball pythons and how the virus interacts with this species. But as we learn more, hopefully the specifics of species susceptibility and disease course will be brought to light. We have included a current list of snake species that have tested positive for nidovirus. This includes 
ball pythons, hopefully something we can learn about in future research. Green tree pythons, carpet pythons, diamond pythons, rough-scaled pythons, blood pythons, Sumatran pythons, Borneo pythons, Angolan pythons, Indian rock pythons, anthill pythons, Stimson's pythons, Woma pythons, Durmills boas, emerald tree boas, Amazon tree boas, and Durham milk snakes and corn snakes. Please keep the questions coming, and as always, please feel free to reach out to us via Fishhead Diagnostics Facebook page or private message them or us any questions you have, and we will be sure to pass them along. Yeah, guys, definitely uh, message us with anything that you have, you know, even if you think it's a, you know, a simple question or even if you think it's a silly question. If you question, have any questions, send it to all, us. Send it to us. We will um, ask, and we will give you the answer here. Yeah, we're definitely doing this to educate people on on this virus, and um, it's definitely a real serious thing in the, especially in you know, the Morelia industry, and you know, obviously it's big in um, you know all aspects of snakes. Really, um, it's been found in colubrids, pythons, and boas. So I, I'm assuming if it can affect corn snakes, it can probably affect yeah. other rat snakes. Exactly. So. Anything you got, any questions you guys may have, please, you know, message message one of us. Message them at uh, Fishhead Diagnostics. Instagram or Facebook. Message us. Message them. Let us know. No question is off limits as long as it's related to fish. Just <laughs> diseases to, and reptiles. As long as it's related to, <laughs> yes. Not margaritas. Anyways, episode 32, this is with David Means of the Amethystina Project. He's going to talk about scrub pythons, him and Chris Foley. Heavy focus on scrub pythons and all the cool things yeah. going on in Somalia. And yeah, they, they work Som- with... Did you say it's Somalia? That sounds Somalia. like the country. Somalia. Like Black Hawk Down. I have no idea. Like That's where all the pirates are. That's cool. You ever see that movie Captain Phillip? Nope. It's Tom Hanks on a boat, and it gets hijacked by pirates. And then he has to, like, smooth talk his way off the boat. Is he a smooth guy? He's a smooth operator. You see what I did there? Smooth operator. Smooth operator. You feel that harmony we just had? Yeah. Boy, that that went deep. That's beautiful. It was right in my core. Beautiful. American Idol. We're coming for you. Anyways, we're going to get David on the phone, so stay tuned for that. Enjoy the episode. Thank you. This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And this is Jacob Bratz with JLB Morelia, and you are listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast. So we can just jump right into we it if you're good. Going. Welcome everybody. This is episode 32 of the Herpeticulture Podcast. I'm Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. This is Jacob Ross with JLB Morelia, and today we are joined by the one and only David Means. How you doing there, David? Doing pretty good. Good man. Good. So today we are here to talk about a species we all know and love, or at least, at least I do, uh, scrub pythons. Um, David is, uh, I would say, 
definitely one of the one of the top guys in the scrub python industry right now in the u.s um having a lot of cool projects but uh david i'll kind of let you expand on you know what you what you guys do over there we're currently working with four of the five species of scrubs uh which is all we're available to have in the U.S. We can't have the King Horn Eye out of Australia, but everything else we have, and we also have every available locality at this time. Um, we hope to expand upon that as more localities come available, but right now we, we've got it all. And how many localities is that? Oh, if I, let's see. Can't give you a number off the top of my head for the amethystina. Let's see, there's, and I apologize. Um, most of these localities I have never heard spoken. So if I'm butchering the, uh, mispronouncing them or butchering that, I apologize in advance, but I'll do the best that I can with it. Right. So there's Maruki, Sarong, uh, Arfak, Manakori. Kofiel, uh, Tanamara, Lamina, that's kind of a tricky one there. Uh, Jayapur is kind of the same way, kind of kind of tricky. Um, there's a same with the kind of the, the Ospils, what most people refer to as the Highlands. Um, most of those are kind of kind of kind of tricky. They they have a locality name, but it's not exactly correct. Uh, let's see. Those are the ones I can remember right straight off the top of my head, but I may remember some more as we get further into this. Right, right. And um, so oh, I'm just taking off my jacket here. Um, so it's that's so that's all um, Somalia amethystina, correct? Uh, that's that's one of the species. You also have uh, the Moluccan pythons, the Tannenbar pythons, and the Hamahera pythons that are all in that scrub complex right right but you know the stuff you were listing those were all in um the amethystina correct all the localities you just listed yes correct yeah okay okay yeah for sure so uh, is another one okay yeah yeah um so uh, so when you compare like the uh a barnack or a southern scrub those are both under amethystina correct correct okay so when you when you compare that to something like a a nada tanabar scrub, um, are those is that a subspecies or a completely different species altogether? I'm not sure how how that how it, that exactly works. It's, I guess it would be its own uh, species the way that they have it listed now. Right, right. Okay. Uh, it wasn't all that long ago that they were all just lumped in under under one, but uh, they've since expanded on that a little bit so right. technically the Moluccans, the Tannenbars, the Hamaharas, King Horni and Amethystina are all five separate species. Okay okay so I guess I, I kind of I would like to start you know give a if you could if you don't mind at least uh, give a, a brief overview of the uh, the species you know the Tannenbars, the Amethystinas you know what's you know what's make what makes them all different. Sure so most of what makes them different is actually location. Uh, your Moluccans, Hamaharas, uh, Tannenbars are all island 
species. So, um, you know, you're not going to find those. You're not going to find amethystina on the tannin bar islands and, and so forth. Right. Uh, the tannin bars are the smallest. Some people refer to them as the dwarf scrub. Um, I, I don't like that terminology too much, but they're definitely the smaller uh, of the scrub complex. The Moluccans and the Hamaharas are about the same in, in size. Uh, Amethystina is, is the larger, with King Horneye being, being the largest. Right. And... You know, the, they're all different in coloration and, and pattern and stuff like that. Right, right. If and I put some photos in front of you, you know, and gave you a little bit of direction, you'd be able, and if you knew nothing about scrub pythons, you would quickly be able to, to start to pick up which which animal is a, you know, a tannin bar or a malucan mm. or, or so forth. For sure, for sure. So, you know, as, as far as, you know, size gets, you know, what's, when you're looking at, you know, a, a tannin bar versus a Moluccan, you know, what, uh, what are the size differences? What about, what's a tannin bar about average out at? Tannin bars are going to average around four foot. Really? Um, I didn't yeah. Know, some, I didn't know some will be a little small. smaller. Some will be a little larger. It, it, it really depends. Um, wow. we have, we have a female that is a good seven and a half, eight foot. She's extremely large for, for that species. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Your, your Moluccans and um, Amaharas are going to average six to eight. Some, you know, we, we've seen them as large as uh, 10, but that's mm-hmm. again, you know, some, ex- an extreme example no, there. That's the exception. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Sorry, could you repeat that? I said they're like the exception at that size. Exactly, exactly. And your amethystine are really going to depend on uh, locality, but uh, a safe average for for that uh, complex is going to be 8 to 10 foot. Some of your uh, Maruki and, and Barnex can sometimes get into the 12 to 14 with some extreme examples um reaching about 16 but nothing too much over that anything above that's going to be again another extreme right right example and the king the king horn eye are known to get monstrous aren't they yeah i think those are a an unconfirmed record of like 25 foot but i mean there's still i think average for those are going to be 16 18 yeah, they're like the fourth largest species in the world. Yeah. Retics, anacondas, berms, and then king hornet. Yeah, I think Maybe, so. Maybe, no, African rock pythons. African rocks would get bigger, yeah. Rocks. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think they're in the number five in the... Yeah. In the longest, yeah, that for sounds, sure. That sounds about right. Yeah, I think I, I'm. I'm glad you know we could talk about the the size differences because I feel like you know everybody's um, you know thought when when they think of scrubs, at least if you know what they are at all, I think everybody's first thought is you know them being massive, you know, because that you know a lot of the more common ones, at least from what I can tell, are all the uh, the the stuff in the amethystina species. You know the barnecks, the southerns, and those are of the larger, you know, of the larger species. But you know, you can keep scrub pythons and keep them, 
you know, you can have a species that actually stays, you know, more like a, a carpet size, like a, um, like a tannin bar, even, you know, some of the Moluccans, they can stay a bit smaller. Um, would exactly. you, would you, agree, would you agree with that? David? Even though these, you know, some of these that are on the larger, um, scale, they're very lean animals. So mm-hmm. curled up in a cage, you, you would not expect that animal to stretch out as long as they are after you, you know, get them out of, out of the cage. So they're mm-hmm. really, really, um, you know, can, can kind of mess with you, your mind a little bit. Uh, they'll fit in very small places and, uh, you know, you'll, you'll hook this animal out and it just keeps on going and going and going. You, you just, you know, it's, it's a little overwhelming sometimes uh, if, if you're working with a, a new animal and you're just not exactly sure how long this animal is and it's just, you know, keeps coming out of the bag and, you know, where's, where's the end point on this thing? Right. Right. Dang. And that's, um, so what was it about scrubs that, that drew you to them? Well, I, as a pretty young teenager started, I, there was a reptile store in the town that I live in. And, you know, I'd always like most of us as a kid, you know, going out catching turtles and lizards and so forth and bringing them home and keeping them as a pet for a little while and releasing them. And when the store opened, I just, I mean, it opened a whole new world to me. And I just walked in one day and I said, hey, you know, can I come in and clean cages to, to learn more about this stuff? And they were excited about that, you know, free help. And it just, you know, it really, it was a beneficial relationship for both of, both of us because I learned more than I ever could have learned anywhere else. Uh, they were working with, I believe, 32 different species. They, you know, started out as a breeder but decided to open a storefront just because it made sense at the time. And they had this big window display at the front of the store. They had one on each side of the door. And... In this one display, it was, you know, real nice and pretty, and there was supposed to be a snake in there. But nobody ever saw this snake. I think I worked there for, I don't know, two or three months. And I'm like, there's not a snake in there. And they're like, no, there really is. It just, you know, it only comes out at night. Well, cleaning cages one day, I happened to stand up. And I was looking at this shelf that was right at my eye level. There's this 12-foot roundabout snake curled up in a perfect coil. It did not even look real. Oh, my gosh. That was a snake that was in the window. It had figured a way to get out of that cage and curled up on that shelf. And once I realized what it was, I jumped back and went running into the back of the store to find the owner just freaking out because, you know. The stories I heard, of, I heard about this thing where, you know, there's this monster in this cage pretty much. Jeez, man. And, you know, we wrangled the thing and got it back into a cage. And from that point on, I was, I was just stuck. You know, these big scales, especially the head scales, huge head to body size. Um, you know, there was an intelligence there you could you know, you could just pick up on and I don't know from, like I said, from that point, it was, 
it was all all about scrubs. Yeah. And I worked with some other stuff after that here and there, but one way or another I always came back to the scrubs. Right. So what's your what's your favorite uh, species or subspecies or locality of uh, of scrub pythons? What's your what's your personal favorite? Oh, if I had to pick one of the species, it would be the amethystina. Locality, it's it's really hard. The uh, bioc bioc uh, locality is in probably the one of the our neck localities the, would be kind of a tie on those two, mm-hmm. but they're all great. I mean, it's right. hard to, right. It's hard. It's hard to pick one for sure. Um, but yeah, that, uh, the bar neck that you just got in, man, if y'all, if, if anybody listening has not seen, uh, the, the bar neck scrub that, uh, David just got in, it is absolutely insane. It's from nerd, right? Yeah, exactly. <sighs> That thing I've is... seen pictures of that animal, and it looked good in the pictures. But when I pulled that thing out of the bag, I was blown away. It was so much more than I expected. I mean, it's it's really phenomenal. That's how it was when I unboxed yours. Like the iridescence was just yeah. Like, oh my god! And then like the face and the eyes—they're just kind of, they're so they're so <laughs> cool, man. They're just light years different from anything else you've yeah. ever seen or dealt with. Exactly. And that, that's the thing that, you know, I had never, before I got, you know, my, my scrub, I had never, you know, worked with them really hands-on at all. And, um, the first thing I noticed about them, David, you just mentioned it, but, uh, it just, there's, there's more clicking upstairs. They just seem so, so intelligent to me, you know, when I, when I handle them. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, it's, I don't know. It's just something about them. There's, there's just more, more going on upstairs. And I think it's really cool. And, you know, it's fascinating, you know, again, you know, just like Justin said, it's, they're unlike any species, you know, at least I've ever worked with. Yeah. They're just, they're so cool, man. Um, just like, you know, like you said, those big heads and those massive scales on top. The giant eyes. They're always watching and waiting. Yeah. They are super cool. Um, and they have no fear. Like we've no. talked about that, like yours, dude. The things, it's tiny, but like you open that cage and he's like coming he right out. Right he's out, like, "Let's dude. go, dude! Yeah. Like I'm ready!" Like every time, he's like, "Let's throw down." Yeah, he's always ready, man. He never, you know. I, I made a I made a post about it the other week. Um, yeah, he's my only. He's the only snake I have that doesn't go and hide from me. You know, when I have to take him out for cleaning or whatever. He's the only one that, you know, bows up to me and, and is ready to throw down, you know. He's he's not afraid at all. It's it's crazy. He's such a cool species, man, for sure. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why I enjoy working with him so much. I mean, you're not reaching in a cage and, and doing a spot clean or a water bowl <laughs> change with that snake in that cage. Absolutely um, not. Oh it's, yeah, it's definitely um, yeah. Whenever I go to change his water, man, I I've got to watch for him. I try to do it in the middle of the day because he's usually in the back, you know, hiding out or in his hide or something. But let sleeping scrubs lie. <laughs> yeah, uh, they're crazy, man. Um, so going back to the 
with the whole you know difference in species stuff. So uh, as far as here in the U.S., the most commonly you know bought, sold, and bred um, species of carpets would be the amethystina, correct? Scrubs. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Moluccans have been bred very sporadically. Mm-hmm. Uh, bars are are been produced quite a bit, so. Tanner bars and amethystina are, are right there at the top of the list. Okay. Um, so tanner bars are probably a little little easier to breed than the amethystina. Oh wow! But they're not as kept as, as commonly. I, I don't think. Yeah, no. I as far as you know, you know, scrubs go. You know, I've been I've been wanting a pair of tanner bars for a long for a while now. I'm still still waiting to find somebody willing to uh, give up some. But um, they, they, as far as what I've seen, you know, the I've only seen you know barnex and you know barnex and southerns for the most part. Um, you know, I rarely have seen Malukins or you know tanner bars for that matter. Um, yeah, that's. That has a lot to do with the Indo export quotas. The last few years, I mean, they've been extremely low. I mm-hmm. think last year for the Tanbars, Moluccans, and the Hamaharas, it was less than 30 of those each. And it's like 24 wow. animals or something for each of those species, which, I mean, that's that's the supply of the worldwide market. And, yeah. You know, it's, Wow, that's... It's, it's getting very, very difficult to to get your hands on those species. Now, is that because uh, is it has does that have anything to do with you know how they're doing over in Indonesia? Like, are there are their numbers down, or do you know anything about about that? I'm not real sure. I mean, seeing that they come off of you know these relatively small islands, I'm sure that they're starting to to kind of crack down on that a little bit so that they're not over-collected. Um, I mean, there for a while, they they were coming in um, in pretty decent numbers back in the early 2000s and stuff. It wasn't anything to if, – if you wanted one, it was nothing to, to find some. Okay. But I, I think they've really started to crack down on that, and I wouldn't – I really wouldn't be surprised in the next – five or ten years if they don't crack down on that a whole lot a lot more yeah yeah are do you are you saying as in like they may close down all importation from indonesia or just for the the scrubs specifically well i feel you can see with some of the other species uh green tree pythons are almost always been this way i don't want to say always but for you know a long time you're only they're only supposed to export captive bred chondros. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that that's not always uh, the truth, but yeah. that's the way it's supposed to be. Um, the the Boland's pythons are, are the same way uh, now. I don't I don't remember how recently that that happened. So I think it's it's just going to be a matter of time before they really start to crack down on those yeah i i would agree and that's that's kind of why uh, you know i've been talking to uh some some of the some of my fellow fellow keepers that uh work with the uh, west popwing carpets or uh or ij's um you know i've been talking to a couple of people and you know i 
you know, me and everybody else who's, you know, really into them right now are, you know, we're real focused on getting, you know, farmed blood and getting wild caught, uh, blood whenever know. possible because you never know when, you know, Indonesia is, good, is just going to close be tomorrow. it down. Exactly. Could be tomorrow, could be in 10 years. Right. And, you know, I think, you know, the, that wild caught blood definitely p- plays a vital role for the, the future of, you know, species from, from Indonesia. Um, Absolutely. So. Um, I'm a big, you know, our our kind of mission is to produce these animals in captivity so that people aren't buying imported animals for pets. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they really don't make good pets, uh, you know, with their attitude and some of the health issues and, and so forth. Um, you know, and we really hate to see the wild population decline for the pet industry you know it's one thing to take animals out of the wild to put into breeding projects and stuff but just uh you know put on the market for pets uh, it's it's hard for me to you know kind of stand behind that because most of those animals are going to pass right and i think you know in that topic right there is um i feel like that's something that could really hurt us you know as a whole you know for as far as people trying to get us you know as far as um i'm trying to think straight here reptile (laughs) as far as people trying to take away our rights to own reptiles you know i feel like that's something that they could use you know if all these people are getting wild caught animals and you know they're they're all dying left and right you know people are having problems etc etc you know, beginner keepers don't know what they're getting into, get a wild-caught scrub, you know, you never know. But, you know, they look for any type of ammunition they can to... It doesn't to, really look good. Yeah, it doesn't us. look good Someone on us. We're taking animals from the wild and they're not surviving in their new home. Exactly. With a majority of the people buying them. Right. You know, I feel like places that don't want us <laughs> to be able to, you know, own these things are, you know, that's that's their ammunition, you know. So Absolutely. So, um, so going back to the amethystina side of things. So since that's the most common, um, commonly kept and bred in captivity right now, um, so what are, what are these subspecies in amethystina? I know there's Barnex, there's Southerns and is Wamina also in the amethystina? No, subspecies are locality. Or subspecies? Uh, the subspecies, uh, if you want to call it that, are the Moluccans and... Oh, okay, okay. Um, so everything in the Amethystina project, it's, it's going to be a locality. Oh, okay. It, wouldn't it be surprising if that gets broken up at, at some point? Right. Because uh, some of these localities are so different from each other, but right now they're they're all listed under. Okay. Under right. Okay. Uh, see, I get I get it confused because I think of it in carpet python uh, standards because we have Morelia, everything's in Morelia spilota, but then under those we have Morelia spilota, McDowelli spilota, Shaney, or however you pronounce it. You know, so those are our subspecies. McDowelli. Right, so keep chondros, uh, and you know where all the localities are. Yeah, 
So the the localities of Amethystina. Then what does what does you know? Don't let's talk about. I guess the main the main U.S. ones since we don't have all night to detail <laughs> every single sure, one sure. of these. Um, so the the most commonly kept Amethystinas would be Barnack Southerns and Waminas, in your opinion, or probably your Southerns and your Barnacks. The Waminas have become a little more popular in the last five, eight years or so, mm-hmm. um, back 10 years ago, there was only a few in the U S and of those few in the U S they were all females. Um, <laughs> I actually stumbled across one of the first males in, um, I can't remember if it was a Craigslist. I think it was a Craigslist ad. Somebody had a Lamina for sale and, uh, I think they were in Chicago and, I sent the guy a message, and he like, I've never shipped before, not comfortable doing that, don't want to do it. So I sent out a message on, I think, Morelia Python's, uh, uh, the the forum yep. site, and yep. you know, maybe on Fauna, and said, hey, is there anybody in Chicago that'll pick a snake up? I'll make it worth your time. And <laughs> somebody did. They picked it up and shipped it to me. Um, but in the last five or eight years, they've, they've come a little more little more popular to come in in bigger numbers and there's been a few clutches uh produced mm-hmm. of those so that's that's helped a little bit nice um, nice now that locality that's we call them the wamina type they don't really come from back in the 90s uh that's the airstrip that they were flown out of mm-hmm. that that locality type is found more in the Jayapura, um, in the Cyclops Mountain Range. Uh, in that area is where that locality is actually from. But mm-hmm. you know how names go. You know it's the, it's kind of stuck, so it's hard to to kind of change that. Right, right. Um, so, as far as a a captivity standpoint, a standpoint, um, let's. You know, again, since you know, we'll stick to you know what most people are going to see. At least you know people first getting into scrubs. Um, let's stick with the barnecks and the southerns. You know, that's definitely what I see the most of personally. Um, so, and yeah, the, the southerns are going to be your most common, and your barnecks will be the the second most common. For sure, for sure. Um, so, in a captive. And a captive perspective, you know, how, how do you go about keeping, uh, keeping these two species, you know, as far as, you know, temperatures, cage sizes, depending on the animal, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. Uh, your smaller animals, your hatchlings and, and yearlings, you really want to keep in small, tight enclosures. Um, you know, certainly enough room to, to move around and, you know, be comfortable, but not so large that they get overwhelmed. They mm-hmm. dress really easy. If you put them in too large of a enclosure, they'll go off feed. Um, it's just, they don't do nearly as well. Uh, mm-hmm. they're almost for their first couple years of life, almost do better in a rack type setting than they do, a, an enclosure type setting. Mm-hmm. Um, temperature, I, I've found heating my entire room instead of offering warm and cool spots has worked better for me. 
Um, I know that doesn't work well for everybody. So hot spots, you really don't want to go. 92 for a hot spot is your absolute cutoff. You don't want to go much warmer than that. Mm-hmm. Scrubs can tolerate cool a whole lot better than they can tolerate warm. Mm-hmm. You get much above 95 for too long a period of time, and you're really going to start to have some disastrous effects. Um, for your cool end, you know, it's 78 to 82, um, you know, we'll be will be fine. My room stays about 85 degrees year-round. Well, okay. I'm sorry, not year-round, but during the, the warmer months of the year. Right, right. Uh, humidity, uh, 50%, 60%, they seem to do very well. You can go a little above, they'll tolerate. Uh, do you, do you ever, do you ever, well. do you ever supplement humidity? Like while they're going through a shed cycle, will you spray them down ever? Or what, what's your, what do you do? I have in the past, but I found the biggest thing, and this applies to really all snakes, is offering clean, fresh water. Uh, and not just dumping the water out of the bowl, filling the bowl back up, but cleaning the bowl out every time you do a water change, mm-hmm. offering fresh water a minimum of two to three times a week. Uh, every other day is certainly better. Um, if you're able to do daily, you know, great, but most people, if you've got a larger collection, that's that's a little difficult to do. Right. But if you do that, I have found... I rarely ever have a shedding issue. I mean, we're talking complete sheds 98% of the time. Every once in a while I'll get one that'll have a small piece left on it. Um, But almost always nice complete sheds. As a matter of fact, right now, kind of slacking this year. Usually in my room I've got a humidifier. I wasn't the humidifier I had last year broke down on me. I didn't pick up a new one my humidity is at like 35% <laughs> and I'm, I'm still getting complete shit. Right. It definitely is. Is humidity one of those kind of a, kind of a scrub myth that they need real high humidity? No, not really at all. Scrubs are very hardy animals. Right. Um, you know, again, they'll, they'll tolerate cool temperatures for brief periods better than most, um, pythons that I've ever worked with. I mean, I can, for breeding, I'll drop them down into the low 60s overnight sometimes, and, you know, as long as they have a chance to warm back up during the day, they're fine. I I can't ever remember having uh, an upper RI with a scrub um, unless there was, you know, some other uh, factor involved, Mm -hmm. but... I mean, they're they're really really hardy snakes. You gotta you gotta screw up pretty bad to to right. know, really get one on the downhill decline. Right, right. I just know for and usually that's going to be from keeping them too warm. Okay, I got you. So, would you say that's kind of the the biggest threat to scrub pythons is is, is high heat? Uh, high heat and overfeeding. Overfeeding, yeah, that's definitely. Um... I can definitely see Sounds that like being a lot an like issue. Chondros. Sounds like they're a mixture of 
a bigger version of chondros and scrubs or chondros and carpets they seem just bigger yeah a lot of the uh i go ahead i've jokingly said this before um as far as their feeding schedule you they do better if you neglect them a little bit (laughs) Uh, most people regardless of what species you keep a large majority of the keepers overfeed their animals. Right. Um, and Agreed. that's not just with reptiles, it's with everything, you know. Um, but scrubs, they, they just don't do well when they're overfed. So skip a meal every now and then. Um, you know, don't, they don't like weekly schedules. Every, mm-hmm. you know, for young scrubs, every 14 days is, is great. Older scrubs, you know, once every three or four weeks, they're, they're not, I don't, I won't say they're happy because they're always hungry, but <laughs> they do well with that. <laughs> For sure. They always want food. For sure. Yeah. Um, what's, as far as, you know, if you're looking at an adult, you know, Barnack or Southern, what's, you know, for anybody who's thinking about a scrub, as far as long-term, you know, care, what, like what size meal is, is the biggest thing that you you feed to your largest scrub? What's the biggest thing that you feed? largest meal is going to be a young rabbit um you know two maybe for a very large scrub a a three pounder i don't feed anything larger than a large rat just because they're so fatty right um scrubs really love birds so uh, we fed very heavily in quail last year they absolutely love quail um they they do fine on chickens and they're not one of these most of the time, they're not one of these species that, uh, if you change their food, they're either going to refuse it or they're going to get stuck on it. <laughs> Most scrubs, if they consider it food, they're going to eat it. They don't care what it is. Yeah. <laughs> you get some that are picky every now and then, but it's far and few between. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so is it is that I mean, an, is that an average meal for an adult scrub? Is a a a, a small rabbit, or, or are most people going to be looking at something like a large rat on a on a you know basis as far uh, as a regular feeding schedule? Large rat to a one one and a half pound rabbit is okay. usually going to be your your tops your for average. your adult animals, and and that's every you know three to four weeks. Right. Right. Okay. Kind of let the the snake tell me, you know, if if I notice that they're, you know, getting a little leaner than I like, then I might give them a slightly larger meal or increase the frequency of feeding a little bit. If I think that they're getting a little on the hefty side, then I'll I'll back off. Now I don't just not feed; I just decrease the meal size. It may actually feed a little feed a little more frequently. Right. Uh, that seems to help speed up the metabolism a little bit and helps burn off a little bit of that extra fat. Mm-hmm. For sure. So as far as, as far as cage size, you know, again, adult scrub, you know, what are you looking at for your average bar neck Southern, you know, as far as length, width, height? My favorite size is going to be a six foot by uh, three foot or 30 inches deep, whichever works best for you by 30 or 36 tall with a shelf in the back okay if you you offer a perch they will perch but you're gonna hate cleaning that cage (laughs) 
is they'll <coughs> they'll get on that perch and an adult an adult scrub you're not going to be able to get that animal off of that perch. I noticed that with Safely. his small one. Like those they're they're yeah. worse than any other arboreal snake I've had. They're like velcro. They yeah. stick to everything. They do and when you have an adult <laughs> scrubs are very cage defensive. You yeah. reach in the cage, you're usually going to be bleeding when you pull your hand back. <laughs> now, an adult scrub on a perch, the only way you're going to be able to try to get that animal off if you do it barehanded is to reach in, and I can tell you their reach is a whole lot longer than your arm length. <laughs> yeah, I learned nice that pretty quick, face. too. Yeah. yeah. yeah you, see, nice warm face, you know, that's what they're going for. They they key in on heat. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's what they're going for. So you're... You're going to get bit in the face if you try that. Yeah. Um, trying to get them off with a hook, not going to happen. Um, it's again, I just I don't recommend it. They make again beautiful displays. You've got a nice um, naturalistic enclosure with some big tree branches. They'll perch just like a chondro. A 16 foot scrub will perch on there just like a chondro. It's the coolest mm-hmm. thing ever. But maintaining that cage becomes very very difficult. Right. You've got to either wait for the animal to be off of the perch um, so that you can get it out, or you you got to take some chances that really aren't, you know, safe for you or, or the animal. For sure. So th- this is all why you recommend shelves versus actual branches or perches, correct? Absolutely. And, I mean, if, you, if you've got one or two scrubs, it might be a, you know, a right. bit of a different story. You can... Um, manage that a little better but when you've got multiple animals it's it's impossible you go down the clean cages you'll spend 45 minutes just trying to get uh an animal off of a perch um i've I've gone that route (laughs) and i didn't stick with it for very long (laughs) it would get old quick yeah i I can i can imagine um it's like i'm on uh, i'm on cage number one i still have 80 to go uh, and I've already burnt 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you do the math and find out that <laughs> this doesn't work well. Yeah. And I, you know, again, I only have one scrub python, so I can't talk much as far as actual keeping aspect, but it's funny. It's, I, everything you're saying is exactly what I experienced with my guy just on a small level. A like, scale. he's such a pain to get out of his cage it takes me way longer just to get him out than it does for me to actually clean his cage you know and it takes longer yeah. for me to dodge getting bit trying to grab his water out than it does for me to just clean and pull thing. it out and set it to the side with him on it he's, he's always gonna bite me dude he's actually pretty okay as far as handling goes once he's out of the cage and i get him in my hand and i get him i get him used to being touched he, he's fine he, he chills out pretty quick after he, yeah, take, after he takes a dump on most, everything, <laughs> most scrubs are that way. I mean, it's it's getting them out of the cage is the the hassle. Once you get them out, they they seem to calm down pretty quick and will tolerate some some handling and stuff. So I I feel like scrubs get a pretty bad rap for being very you know aggressive or defensive animals um in in your experience 
what's the what's the majority of that you know cage cage defensiveness aside you know because I, th- I feel like that's an exception for you know a lot of species including you know carpets and green tree python and stuff like that you know a lot of my animals can be very cage defensive until they're out but you know what's you know as far as scrubs that you've had whether they were in or out of the cage they just wanted to murder you versus you know the scrubs that when they were out they were good you know what, what's kind of the ratio for you I'll admit that scrubs really do kind of have a bad rap, but some of that bad rap is is very well deserved. Um, <laughs> the the worst bites I've ever taken have been from scrub pythons, and unfortunately, the worst bites I've taken from scrub pythons have always been from animals that most people would consider. And I don't use this word with large constrictors at all, but you know the oh this snake is tame. Oh yeah. They're the worst sneaking. bites I've ever taken have been from those those types of animals that right. you know you could almost do anything with uh, except for this one time. <laughs> Jeez, just caught um, them on the wrong day. Yeah, it's just unlucky, man. Exactly, but Jeez. you know it's it's kind of you know a lot of these animals are, are wild caught, so they're not. You know, the, their demeanor is completely different, especially when they come in as a, a larger animal. Right. Uh, I do have some captive um, bred animals that I produce that the from the entire time that they hatched out until now, they're complete psychos. I can't do anything. I've got a female here that I've literally probably only handled a handful of times. Mm-hmm. She is that bad. Jeez, she hates dude. me, uh, <laughs> but Chris can come down and, and pull that snake yeah. out and handle it like it's a corn That's, snake. I it's all you, buddy. But, but don't understand this. Yeah. <laughs> is that the uh, but, is that uh, the the coffee hour or the coffee hour, whatever? Is that the one no, you're talking um, about? No, this is this is just actually one one that I produce. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, is that way? But <laughs> Chris is kind of. I mean, we joke about this a little bit, but he really does have some sort of a whispering. Uh, ability uh, <laughs> this that Kofi Al you're talking about uh-huh. that's a monster yeah and when we had him outside I mean, he tracks you you can't walk up behind and get behind them because he's following you with his head and <laughs> you know crazy, I, I, I can work that animal from about the lower half Oh, Chris is out there for about 15 minutes, and he's petting the thing underneath the chin like it's a kitten. I'm like, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> Jeez, man. I think we actually have a picture of that. It's just, you know, I'm like, how are you doing that right now? I mean, that was... That'd be bleeding. He's yeah. got the magic touch. I saw the pictures. I saw the pictures you guys posted of him with that thing, man, and it was... It looked like it was nothing. Like I would have guessed the most docile yeah. snake ever, man. He was like you said, he was scrubbing it under the chin, you know, holding it like it was nothing. That oh. Yeah, That's... but you know, back to, you know, their their reputation. A large majority of the ones that we have, I can get out of the cage and handle them with within reason. Now, with any of them, I've always gotten it back in my mind this animal can bite me at any time. Mm -hmm. And with some of the larger ones, if it does, it's going to be bad. So you, you know, keep the head of that animal away from any part of you that you would not want to take a bite to. Right. Um, And, you know, being 
aware of your surroundings, who's around you, if there's any animals, especially if there's any animals, because I can tell you, I'll eat anything. <laughs> so you don't want to be handling a, a large scrub while you've got your um, chihuahua or something. <laughs> your cat, the house. your cat walking around. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they'll, they'll go for, if they think it's a meal, they're going to go for it. Um, and you know, they, you've probably noticed with yours, they, they key into movement Oh yeah, and heat signature. So if you're handling that animal and somebody walks into the room and they're not expecting it, they may react. Yeah. yeah. They're like heat seeking missiles. You know, I, the, so I had something weird happen the other day when I had him out. I actually, um, in my room, I've got a little oil heater on, um, on one part closer to where he is. And this, it's been keeping my war. And I apologize for all the sniffling guys. Um, allergies have got me bad yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, I had him. I got him in my hand finally after he was done crapping everywhere, and you know he, he relaxed a little bit. And then I don't know if the heat from you know being put off from the the oil heater or what hit him weird something. But all of a sudden he turned on that oil heater and started striking. I like literally like jumped out of my hand, you know, going after this thing, you know. And I'm just I, I didn't understand. I've never had that happen before with you know a heating unit nearby. He just he went insane. I, I sure don't, it, it wasn't was me so when weird. I walked into the room. No, you weren't even there. You could feel my. Hand. I I had that back when I used to use um, heat bulbs or heating emitters. Uh, either in cages or, you know, on, on top, my whole room would be on a timer and I'd be in there doing some work in the mornings before the lights would cut on and that timer would cut on and over half of the, the scrubs would strike at that heat source. Really? I mean, just instantly. You heard the relay <laughs> for the timer click. Just one and, collective tap you know, in the room. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, bust the guards around the bulbs and bust the bulbs from it. That's one of the reasons why I've kind of shied away from, from doing that because it, it gets expensive and, you know, you risk hurting the animal as well. So since we backtrack real quick, okay. Backtrack real quick. Since we talked about Southerns and Barnex being the most popular currently in the hobby, what's the main difference between those two? Coloration and pattern. Yeah. Um, do they occupy? Are they coming from two different parts of Papua New Guinea? Yeah. The the Maruki, the the Southerns are coming from south of that mountain range that right. runs east to west. Uh, your Barnacks are coming from your Bird's Head Peninsula and a few of the the islands that are off of that. Oh, uh, okay. Like, so like, Barnacks would include like Jaya's and Bionics yeah, Jaya Pure, and... Jaya Pure. Yeah, would be, okay. Would that be makes Barnex. sense. Southerns are going to be Maruki's. Well, do they have Ar- but, they have Arus? Uh, say that again. Do they have Arus? Aru, yes. Okay. Um, but not a Barnack locality. Gotcha. Okay. And the uh, like the Arus were kind of classified as. Um, a southern race, but I, if you kept both, they're widely different from one another. Mm-hmm. In what ways? Um, uh, again, pattern, coloration, um, size. They, 
had a really bad rap for attitude, but I, again, I don't think that's really deserved. Mm-hmm. Most of the all of those coming in are wild cult, and most wild cult scrubs are have a tendency to to not be very friendly. <laughs> but those things, I, the ones I've owned were chainsaws. You, you open up the enclosure, <laughs> and it was immediately you were going to bleed. <laughs> chainsaws, I like that. And, uh, put on Slayer now, every time you walk into the room. Yeah. <laughs> You mentioned uh, Jayapura. Yeah. Now, there, there's a locality of Barnex that people call Jayapura, but I don't think Barnex are being found anywhere around that. The animals coming from anywhere around Jayapura are that Wamina-type animal. Mm-hmm. Really? I've seen... Yeah, uh, think, uh, go ahead. I, I've seen too many photos of those in the wild with GPS tags that I know that they're not uh, living in the same area. You're not having a Barnack and a Wamina in that same, you know, general area. And I have yet to see any animal that looks like a hybrid between the two. I say hybrid, but uh, integrated of, right. of the two. So. It just it doesn't make sense. I, I think your barnacks are concentrated more in that bird's head peninsula than they are. Um, you know, Jayapur is more central of the Papua mm-hmm. Island. Gotcha. Um, and well, I'd say central, north central of, of it. Right. So, right. I've just seen a lot of the at least you know again these are you know captive labels you know you know as far as where they come from you know who am I to say but a lot of people you know a lot of the stuff that I've seen that has been labeled you know Jayapura has been you know labeled along with Barnack and and I see why because the pattern reflects that you know he's got the got the barring down the neck so I I just kind of assume you know that well I guess that's a Barnack you know people always labeled it with that but um and and again you know most of these that you're seeing labeled you know that this is a jayapura barnack they're they look like your sarong types and stuff right um they just got that other label and again i just i don't agree with that label i know that that label goes all the way back to the 90s which is interesting because if you in the you know, mid, late 90s, early 2000s, if you got a scrub from Jayapura, it looked like your bird's head barnet. <laughs> if you got a Wamina, that's what looks like our, our Wamina type. Somewhere in the mid-2000s, things changed. You would see Jayapura on an import list. You would get that, open the bag, and there's a Wamina sitting in it. Now, are the Beox similar to green trees in that they're bigger? Is that one of the, is like, would the Beox be, are they a smaller locality because they're insular, or is it? Um, well, Beox, another interesting one, you know, you've heard me say interesting after some of these um, locality labels. I had a pair of Beox that were brought in by Dave and Tracy Berker in the mid-90s as uh, captive hatched from a wild-caught female. And if you look at the Barker paper, they classify these beox as 
a southern, like your Marukis, it's a southern race on a northern island. Huh. And the animals I had looked like your southerns. There were some slight differences in it, but I think that was more of locality difference. I think that those animals somehow between Indo in the U.S., some labeling on bags got changed. I don't know. The animals that are coming out labeled Bioc now, we've got four of those, only four that I know that are in the U.S., and there's some over in Europe that all carry that same locality label, look completely different than most any hmm. of the Scrubs and Amethystina project, hmm. which makes sense because there's a whole lot of space in between Maruki and those Biak Islands. And for those animals to look the same is would be unusual, mm -hmm. to say the least. Now, there's uh, I've heard different rumors that um, back in you know the 90s, as the pet trade kind of was kicking off, maybe it was a little before the 90s, that some of these collectors were taking these animals and releasing them on Bioc because that was, there was that was a big hub at the time. Right. And, you know, so they released them so they could catch them on that island. Um, or when, I guess, that hub kind of lost traction a little bit, they released the animals that they had in their um, facilities. And that's why those southerns are found up there. I, I, I don't know. That, that all sounds super fishy to me yeah. and I would have gone along with that until these animals started showing up a few years ago. Mm -hmm. So now, I mean, really the only way that's ever going to be figured out is if somebody goes there and actually photographs these animals in the wild with some GPS, GPS tags and so forth. Say, Hey, this, this is what they look like in the, in the wild. You know, here's the GPS coordinates. Right. This is where it was found. I've been to several locations over the Island and, you know, this is what these animals look like. Short of that, I mean, the, again, um, West Papua is made up of a lot of little islands. So these that we're getting off of that are labeled Bioc now may be coming off of another island, a small right. island. And that's the really no way to. That's the frustrating thing with chondros is you know it's the same way. A lot, you know, yeah. the, what it, we, the the locality information is only as good as the person who, you know, brought them in, and then the person who actually caught, like, put them in a bag and shipped them out. Exactly. And, you know, one of the things that some of us have done, some little detective work and stuff, is bird watching is very popular in that part of the world. People travel from all over the world to take pictures of birds there. And you can find some of these photographs either online or through talking to some of these people where they've, you know, they see something else cool, they're going to snap a photo of it. So we've stumbled across a few scrub pythons that way. So you're able to, you know, say, okay, well, this picture is kind of lining up with the locality name that we're seeing here in the U.S. or you know, this this really doesn't fit. You know, here's a person on the ground in this general location taking this photo, and this animal really doesn't look anything like what it's claimed to be, you know. And, of course, 
like with the chondros and all that stuff, they get their locality names by the where they're flown out of. Right. Um, you know, there's not somebody walking around in the forest saying, oh, here's a snake, and I'm in Lamina, so, <laughs> you know, I'm going to write that on the bag. That's, that's not happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, for sure. Um, yeah, again, though, I think uh, I think the, you know, Indonesia, you know, keeping that open and everybody getting all the farm stuff we can, man, I think it plays a, a, a big role in that. Uh, do you guys, do you guys try to get uh, farm blood in, you know, whenever possible or do you try to shy away from that? Um, we're not opposed to it. Um, I don't like to get animals that are like really farm bred just because we don't know if they're, you know, some locality crosses and, and, and so forth, you know, you kind of, most of those farm to babies that are coming in are coming in patternless and red. So you're, you're taking a gamble of what it's going to end up being, you know, if it's a mm-hmm. cross between two different localities, it doesn't really have any value outside of being a pet. Right. You know, you certainly don't want to put that animal into a breeding project or, or something like that. Right, right. So we we tend to try to stick to uh, wild caught animals when, when possible. Right. If we if, if if it's coming from a reliable source it's a little different, but uh, for the most part we, we try to stick to to wild caught animals okay. for, so... for blood for our our breeding project. So y'all do deal with, you know, do y'all deal with a good bit of import imported animals or, you know, do, y- do y'all still get a lot of imports in? Do y'all still get a lot of uh, wild caught and imported animals in? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it's important for being able to maintain distinct bloodlines so that in the future, if those, if that closes down, that we've got enough, separate you know bloodlines in the in the u.s to um, keep those animals going for quite some time right and i'm gonna get on my uh my soapbox here for a minute because oh. we've been i've actually talked about this with uh two people recently you know um the i i support you know people trying to get you know the 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 wild caught stuff and the farm bred animals you know you know looking at the the carpet python side of things you know um eventually with all these species that are imported from overseas you know we if we can't keep getting fresh blood in um we're going to hit a genetic wall at some point it may take a very long time it may not even be in any of our lifetimes that you know that we hit that wall but at some point if we can't keep getting new blood in eventually everything is gonna is gonna be inbred you know to an extent at least you know and i think you know avoiding that at all costs is always is always good you know it's definitely the the best way to go you know you can it's very obvious what inbreeding can do to to a species. You know, look at the granite um, look at West Alabama. Poplin carpets. Yeah, look. <laughs> but um, yeah, you see it in, in bearded dragons. I, these bearded dragons that I see now, a majority of them. I mean, they 
they don't have the same structure of what I'm used to seeing no. back in the, the 90s and stuff. Right. It's, you know, since Australia closed down that, and, you know, and that's what I worry about with stuff like jungle and jungles and coastal carpets, you know, Australia has been, I don't know how long Australia has closed down importation, it's been but a long it's been a long time, you know, and, yeah, and, and it, a lot of that stuff that we have now didn't come out of Australia legally. That yeah. was, <laughs> yeah, came across, you know, was in somebody's backpack. Yeah, yeah. Not someone's underwear. Not gonna say any names or anything. But. Yeah, <laughs> and that definitely, that definitely still happens now, man. There's definitely people that still do that today. Um, Absolutely. It's it's, you know, it's kind of one of those. Uh, I guess what's the word? Um, a moral issue. You know, is it good for the hobby? Yeah, sure. You know, we need that new blood. But it's illegal, so you know which yeah. side you know are you gonna are you gonna go on that? So I mean, I guess people are willing to do it. Thanks, kinda. <laughs> and I'm I'm all for the bringing in wild caught blood as long as it's done responsibly. Like right. I'm not for you know not just scrubs, but for any animal. I'm I really can't support raping the. the the natural habitat for animals just to be brought in to, for people to keep as pets. Right. Um, you know, when they're being brought in for uh, establishing breeding, that's one thing. But when they're sitting in a fish tank at a pet store, you know, yeah, somebody's going to come in and have absolutely no idea what they're getting their hands on. I mean, sometimes that works out. But for vast majority, that's of the minority. Animals, it, it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look at uh, you can look at scrub pythons. You know, compare them to you know the other big snakes like Burmese pythons. You know, I guarantee there's people every year that go to a reptile shop or a or a um, a repticon, and they see this pretty little you know albino Burmese python or something, and it's. So it's cute. cheap. It's only a hundred so bucks, small. and it's little and cute. And then they grab it, not having any idea, you know what? A year what later, exactly they're stepping be able to eat into. their dog. Exactly, you know. And I feel like scrubs I, definitely. I fit agree, into that. and I, that terrifies me with the retic market right now. Oh my There's god! Thousands right? of retic being produced. That's what I don't get, oh man. Gosh. Like, where are all these things going? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm the same way. I mean, they're either dying or sometime very soon we're going to have a serious problem on our hands when these things start showing up at animal shelters and stuff. Yeah. You want to talk about fighting legislation. When these things start showing up at animal shelters and so in, in places like that in big numbers, we're, it's going to be an uphill battle. I mean, I'm all for breeding cool animals, but at some point we've got to be responsible, you know, what's, how, how can this be sustained? I mean, like it's, yeah. it's not, we're ble- breeding a few hundred retics. There's thousands of retics being produced every year. And there's a certain I, I individual just, out in California that produces a lot of retics. And I'm told <laughs> that a majority of them go overseas. Whether there's any validity to yeah. that, I have no idea. 
I, I don't know, but there's a lot of people reading retics right now. That's you know, and I'm not just I'm not trying to jump on retic people. I mean, retics are are cool, um, but dwarf retics like, are just, cooler. It terrifies me as a keeper. You know, where are where are all these things? Because we know there's a lot of people that come in buy something like you said. You know, they see mm-hmm. this little snake and they they just can't fathom the size. Yeah, there's that this animal's going to get and. I see it all the time. I've joined a lot of these Facebook groups, and sometimes I just want to bang my head against the wall. But I know I've been in that situation with a large constrictor when it starts to constrict. Most of these people had absolutely no idea the risk that they're putting themselves in when handling that animal without anybody else around they're just as big Even big constrictors are just as dangerous as venomous snakes absolutely oh absolutely i would, I would actually take that a step further and say more so at least if i get bit by a venomous snake i have a chance yeah i can maybe make it to a hospital and maybe get antivenom maybe you know th- there's a chance for that you get a large constrictor and it gets a coil around the right place you're talking about seconds before you're out and if mm-hmm. nobody's around you're done i guess i never the really thought gonna of, wrap I never, you up like I anderson silva about, i never thought about it like that that's actually a really good point um i've i'm definitely you know working I, with uh, you know having wanting to get into scrubs you know one of my rules going forward is gonna be you know anything over and anything that's a good size i don't you know i'm not gonna allow myself or anybody you know close to a handle by themselves it's just it's an unnecessary risk yeah i've seen i mean with these these scrubs i've got scrubs that are smaller around than a toilet paper roll and they can get a coil around my arm and very quickly cut off the circulation Mm -hmm. and it's it can be difficult for me to unwrap i mean we're talking about a relatively small animal the animal that i did that unboxing video. Mm-hmm. An animal that size can quickly cut off the circulation in my arm and squeeze pretty significantly. That's a, that's a small animal. Mm-hmm. And you you have a you know a retic draped across your shoulders, and that thing gets a coil around your neck. I, I don't care who you are. I don't care if you go to the gym every day and. You know, you can bench 450 mm-hmm. pounds. You're not getting that snake off not of happening. you. And you're not going to be able to do it in time. You go on night-night. Before you pass out. Yeah. It's, I mean, I, I'm in Virginia uh, back, oh, I can't remember how many years ago it's been. It's been over 10, maybe 15 years. There was a, a girl that was killed by a eight-foot, I believe about an eight-foot retic. Wow. She was giving it some medication. She was doing that by itself and the animal got aggravated and it, it killed her. Um, and she was an experienced keeper. That's wow. That, that, that's that. one of my other, other fears for the hobby is, you know, not only is there a big number of retics out there, but there's a lot of people that just cannot fathom what that animal can do. I mean, they, unfortunately, too many of the keepers now they're they're putting human emotions on these reptiles 
and they just I don't know they they just don't comprehend the danger that they're putting themselves in mm-hmm. sometimes. Well, as far as legislation goes, so I don't remember who said it, but I completely agree with them when they did say it, and that was like we need to start policing ourselves before the government starts doing it for us. I, I agree, but how do you do that? Because right now, if you let's just use these Facebook groups for example, there's some really good ones out there, but there's some really terrible ones. And most of them are relatively inexperienced people. Mm-hmm. And when you have somebody that's got some experience that has been down these roads and they try to offer some helpful advice, they're told how they're wrong, how they don't know what they're talking about, how, and then they get booted out of this group. So how do you, if you see somebody doing something wrong and you step up and say, hey, you know, this isn't good for the hobby, don't be a fun sponge. Thrown out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately, that's that's what we're we're up against. Mm-hmm. Um, I've I've fought legislation. I did it in 2012 when Virginia tried to. This is right after the uh, Ohio incident, where that guy supposedly committed suicide after letting all of his big cats loose. So a lot of that legislation was going around. Virginia was one of them. Uh, HSUS was heavily involved in writing that legislation. Surprise, and surprise. That. And a group of us got, to, I, was, I found this out and I was terrified because I kept scrub bites on. And I knew that, I mean, they were on the list. So I was literally, this, this is my first rodeo with that. I'm cold calling anybody I could find a phone number for on Fauna that was in Virginia on King Snake, you know, mm-hmm. as far as breeders or keepers, I was calling veterinary offices, pet stores, uh, anything to try to rally people so that we could try to fight this thing. Mm-hmm. I found some other people that were like-minded. We'd set up a meeting in Richmond. We talked about what we were going to do. We set up some lobby days, went to the Capitol, and lobbied against this legislation. Unfortunately, with all of the cold calling I did, uh, posting all over the internet, trying to get people rallied up, our best lobby day we had twenty four people. Show Dang, up. that's out of all these reptile people, and most of it, it's changed a little bit. But um, now this was uh, you know broad sweeping, so it was anything considered exotic, you know primates, big cats, mm-hmm. bears, reptiles. You name it, that's what they were, you know, trying to ban. What we had, unfortunately, was the big cat people saying, you don't need to worry about us. You need to worry about the primate people. Primate people, you need to worry about the reptile people and, you know, so far and so forth. Instead of working together as a cohesive group, it was, let's throw the other keepers under the bus. And we see that in the reptile um, circles as well. I keep leopard geckos. I'm not worried about this legislation. I don't care about big snakes. I don't care about venomous snakes. Mm-hmm. I've got leopard geckos or I've got ball pythons. They're not coming after my ball pythons or, you know, not snakes yet. or whatever. Exactly. they got to get that foot in the door. And Once they do that, it's all downhill from there. It, absolutely. Um, I'll fast forward a little bit to two years ago in Arlington, Virginia, which is, that's HSUS. That's where their headquarters is. 
and they were pushing heavy for a ban in Arlington on exotics. And for the reptiles, it was almost everything. If it was over three foot, the original wording, any snake over three foot. What? I mean, that's, that's pretty much everything. That's... There's, there's a few small species that would stay smaller than that. But Wow. You, you know, you, you can probably, on your hands, count the number of species that you'd be allowed to keep, and right. most of those aren't really available for, for pets. Uh, hognose, right now, are banned in Arlington County because they're they're considered technically venomous. Uh, venomous. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Wow. We tried to get medically significant put into the wording, but we weren't able to get that far. Now, both 2012 and Arlington, we were able to to beat um, Arlington. There's a few little stipulations that we just. I'm one for when I fight for legislation. I don't I don't like to give at all. Uh-huh. You know, I don't, I don't want. I don't want to give up any ground, but unfortunately, mm-hmm. sometimes you have to give up a little bit. So in Arlington, what we had to give up was any uh, snake over 25 pounds had to be microchipped. Mm-hmm. Um, they wanted that to be microchipped and registered, but we were able to nix the registry because, and this is what, you know, a lot of people, you know, will, oh, I don't see a problem with a registry. A registry, like they found out in Arlington, because um, we brought it to their attention, is is going to be public knowledge. Mm-hmm. Because if you have a registry, anybody can. Yeah, it's like public record. Uh, yeah, you can you can get that access that information. Now the problems that that presents is if you keep well, whatever you keep, it, it makes a shopping list mm-hmm. for people that want to. Steal your animals, which we know happens all too often in, in the in the reptile circles. I mm-hmm. mean, people will go to a show or go on vacation, come home, and all their animals are gone. Mm-hmm. So you create a shopping list for those people that want to steal those animals. And they know exactly what you got because you got to register them. Right. right. Number two, some of these animal activists are complete nutsos. Mm-hmm. They will burn your house down with you in it because you keep animals. Oh, jeez. That's no joke. Yeah, you do a Google search on on some of these, you'll you'll find. I mean, just here, what last year, year before, there was a mink farm that they went in and released all the minks, and most of the minks uh, perished because of the heat, you know, because they couldn't survive. Wow. But these these people don't care about the human life, and if mm-hmm. they've got to take animal life to preserve animal life, they'll do it. So you've created uh, an issue with with that. You know, somebody that doesn't want you to keep those animals. Now they've got not only your address, but exactly what you keep. Well, I mean, even so anybody that, that's looking to. There was that tiger story yeah, recently. Did you hear about oh, that? Oh yeah, yeah that 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 one where they found it in a yeah in like an abandoned, abandoned house. house somebody, yeah. yeah, that was the biggest bunch of garbage I've ever heard. In my, what that was is, and again, this is uh, an animal activist. I mean, that's from their their book, their playbook. Um, yeah, if you if you want to enact legislation somewhere, you got to create an incident. Or if you know either before you try to push that legislation or after. So there's here in Virginia, we've had several of these. I mean, they're common all over the country. In one county, there was a, an anonymous 
call uh, that somebody that they had a box of venomous snakes in their car and they went into Walmart and came out and the box was gone. Somebody had busted into the car and, and taken their venomous snakes. Oh, no. This was, in a week later, there's legislation trying to be passed. And it was already written. Somebody, animal activists, made a, an anonymous phone call, you know, saying that they had a box of venomous snakes yep. that were stolen. It how, never happened. But how they knew that. People freak out when they right. hear something like that. That tiger, if you talk to any big cat experts, um, this is, I'll, I'll back up a little bit. When you f- go to fight legislation, when you get together, you meet all kinds of cool people. I've met some of the, I mean, best people in the world fighting legislation, and friends that I have to today. Um, also made friends with people who own zoos and stuff. I've gotten so many behind-the-scenes tours of zoos and access to animals that I wouldn't have had before then. Mm-hmm. So I, I've, I've got some of these people in my circle, so I can send them a message, hey, you know, when you see something like this pop up in the news, what's your input on this article? And they come back saying it, it, it's it's bogus because of, I mean, down to the, the type of wire that that cage was made out of, that that tiger would have shredded itself mm-hmm. if it had been there more than a few hours. It was. Um, it looked obese to me. It looked, thing looked like it gained weight yeah. since they had dropped it off in that house. It, a tiger of that age would not be quiet. People would have been hearing that thing yeah. calling for miles. I mean, they're loud. Um, and really, who's going to call and say, hey, I was going to this abandoned house to smoke some weed. Right. Just coincidence. I was going to go smoke some yeah, I some mean, meth in this house, and there's a tiger in there. If you're calling to report something like that, the first words out of your mouth was, I was going over here to smoke some weed. No, you're talking <laughs> to law enforcement. You're not going to throw yourself under the bus. No. You're going to make up something. You know, I was looking for my lost puppy or, or something. I lost my keys. Yeah, I mean, something. Um, so, no, that, that animal was definitely a plant by an animal activist, animal rights activist. Um, and, you know, they planted it there, then they made an anonymous bit. So you have that stuff you know, the, that's concerning. The animal wasn't there for more than an hour. Right. You have that stuff that's concerning, and then you have situations like what just happened in Florida with yellow anacondas. Where all yep. of a sudden, overnight, yep. they're like, hey, unless you have these now, you're grandfathered in, but otherwise, anyone else, they're now illegal. Exactly. <laughs> so, what I thought. From my limited. Ex- oh, go ahead. I said, what I thought was funny, too, is they put uh, brown tree snakes on that list, the Boigo Irregularis. Yeah, they're on like almost every. No list one keeps them. In every- no one in the yeah. States even I keeps mean- them. In the in Europe they have them, but no one here has them. Like, why are you putting it on a ban list when literally no one keeps them here in the states? Yeah, they they they're on the fe- I believe they're on the federal list, but every state already has those. Virginia has those on their on their list. You can't have those pretty much anywhere. Yeah, not that they would ever be a problem for a majority of the U.S., but they're already there. Right. <laughs> I mean, so Virginia. The when I said that at the for the 2012 ban, 
you know, again, you always have a little bit of give and take. Uh, we had to give up Komodo dragons. So you, in Virginia, you can't own a Komodo dragon. Because, yeah, hmm. like, anybody can have one of those in the pet trade, right? <laughs> right, yeah, those are just readily available. Yeah, you know, I was going to say, I, grand I, a piece. I honestly didn't think people kept those in captivity if you weren't, like, a zoo. <laughs> but So, a little bit of quick advice for anybody. I mean, I encourage anybody, if you've got legislation popping up in your state or county um, or even a neighboring state that's uh, within a short driving distance for you, get involved in it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, don't just U.S. Arc is great. When we were fighting Arlington, I called Phil Goss and said, hey, this is what we're facing. He flew in and uh, we had we were able to set up a, um, a round table. And he flew in and gave us a hand with that and was constantly I'd send him messages we were giving feedback to one another u.s arcs are a great organization i encourage you to um make donations but don't don't send your donation and, and stop there mm-hmm. you know because i'm sure i, I know u.s arc and they need boots on the ground they need people to give them feedback most of these legislators that you go talk to they want to see people that are voting for them outside organizations are great you know they're a great voice but those organizations aren't checking that box on the ballot mm-hmm. now, those organizations will represent people voters that are but i tell you when you show up when you're a voter and you show up you get a whole lot further than um sometimes and if you know somebody from an organization is is showing up so don't don't stop it uh just sending a donation get involved i mean these are these are our rights um we need to preserve them uh, send emails send handwritten if this is information that's come back to me from legislators you know when i was doing this i was learning so i didn't have any problem when we have a meeting with a senator or a delegate you know i'd say hey what works for you guys? I mean, really, I'm coming in here. I want you to see my point or, you know, um, get your support on this. What works? What doesn't? Uh-huh. I can tell you the first thing out of my mouth is form letters. You know, if we get more than two letters that are the exact same wording, they go to the trash can. Yeah, it doesn't You're going to get a response, me. but, um, so they don't like form letters. Phone calls are great. But they, a lot of these legislators, they look at things. So if you send an email, they're looking at that as like maybe one vote. If you send a letter, you know, they're looking at that as maybe two votes. You send a handwritten letter, you jumped up to about 10 votes because somebody took the time to handwrite that. Mm-hmm. You show up in person at their office, that's like 100 votes. Wow. Because somebody just took time from their day to show up to talk to them about it's got to be pretty important. Mm-hmm. And when, um, in your so talking with them, is, have you noticed? Like, did you you know you, talking to them firsthand? Did you did they have yeah. you know a fairly positive reaction of what you were saying to them, or was it kind of like a sure I'll look into it, okay, see you later? Well, most of the time, as soon as you say the word reptile or snake, people shut down. Right. You know they don't. You know, why should anybody have those types of animals? So you got to find workarounds on that. So one of the ways that we learned very quick is, okay, well, people are shutting down here. 
you know, we're not going to get very far on them. So what, we had some venomous keepers there, and they're like, well, hey, you know, especially venomous, you know, you, venomous snakes, no way. Yeah. Well, look at the medical advances with snake venom. Mm-hmm. Any, any, you talk to any person, you can quickly, you know, they're they're going to know somebody or have a family member that's suffering from breast cancer, or heart disease, or high blood pressure, uh, Alzheimer's, uh, all of these things that research is being looked at with snake venom. And there's already drugs on the market that are derived from snake venom. So you're able to soften those people when you start bringing up some of that stuff because it can relate, you know, I've got a, yeah. um, a sister that's got breast cancer. You're telling me uh-huh. that, you know, snake venom may uh, be a cure in the future for this or a treatment. Uh-huh. They start opening up a little bit, you know, because, you know, you've heard it. Most non-snake people, the only good snake is a dead snake. Yep. And that's you can what I've... change their way of thinking. Right. That here's this venomous snake that could, you know, could kill you. Well, that could also save your life or save the life mm-hmm. of a, a loved mm-hmm. one. You start to soften them up a little bit, and, and that's what you I've... know, the the gears start start turning in their heads. You can see it. <laughs> um, yeah. You can you know you can talk about how these animals' habitat is being destroyed and bring up some of the species that have been produced in captivity that have actually been saved from extinction because of their captive breeding. Mm-hmm. Um, that can turn around some, some minds. Um, one of the things that I found by accident is when I was doing this in 2012, I took my daughter out of school. I'm like, come on, you're going to Richmond with me. Uh, you're going to learn how our legislature works because mm-hmm. This was my first rodeo with this. I, I knew nothing. I mean, you learn a little bit in school about this stuff, but when you're there, it, it's completely different. Yeah, Seen we it were. Firsthand. There was. We had to break up into groups so we could talk to different legislators and stuff. And there was a group of about six of us. I had my daughter there, and we were rambling on about stuff. And a legislator stopped us cold and said, "I want to hear what she has to say." And uh, she. My daughter talked, she hit a home run on this. And she was, um, I don't know, 11, 12 years old, something like that. And just, she blew me away because she'd been listening to all of us this whole time and she was able to regurgitate all this information. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, but what these legislators, one of the things that we kept hearing is, uh, you know, you get a classroom or so, you know, some kids together and they send a letter that, you know, written by kids. I mean, they love that kind of stuff. But unfortunately, when they're handed a bill, they're reading like the first line or two on the top of this bill. And it's always going to say, like the Virginia, um, dangerous wild animals, prohibition. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think people should have dangerous wild animals. I, I'm going to go along with this. That's all they hear. I mean, they don't read that entire bill. Look at the footnotes. And the stuff gets passed. Mm-hmm. So most of the time, we're the ones that are educating these legislators about these issues. And mm-hmm. if we don't show up to do that, then they're I not going to know. They're passing it because it makes sense to them. Right. 
Well, I've mentioned so, that before because we did it, a we we made a Facebook post pretty early on into the page, and it it basically was us agreeing with somebody talking about taking your pet, you know, your snakes, your big boa constrictors and whatnot out in the public, take them to the park, take them to the beach, all that good stuff, and how we agreed that you shouldn't do that, and it really really ruffled a lot of feathers, <laughs> like way more than it, I, <laughs> way more than I expected it to, and I was telling people like. We have to pick and choose our battles, because if you think about it, it's really hard to justify this hobby to people that don't care about it and aren't into it. Like, no matter what we do, the general public is going to look at us like a bunch of weirdos. Yep. And, you know, especially for the venomous guys, because how do you justify saying, yeah, I keep mambas and cobras just because I like it, and I actually have a genuine fascination, and I genuinely enjoy keeping them, not for the cool factor or anything like that. You know, it's really hard to justify that to somebody. And so, like, we're, you know, we already have sort of an uphill battle against us going out of the gate. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's, and one of the things I'm always just floored by is when you're talking to people and you're trying to get people to get involved in this, was it's, well, I don't have time to do that. <laughs> or I, I'm not going to miss it. I mean, when I did Arlington, mm-hmm. Arlington is, I don't know how much you guys know about Northern Virginia, but the traffic up there, I mean. I lived in Chesapeake insane. for a few years, twice. Yeah. So I'm driving from Culpeper to Arlington, which on a Sunday midday, I can maybe do in about an hour, maybe hour and a half. Mm-hmm. I'm driving this in rush hour. Because of so, the, what Arlington would do is their county board. One member would go to a location every week, and there'd be a different member all throughout the county of Arlington, where they would kind of do they'd go to a library or something, and people would come with their issues and talk to them. So we use this as a lobbying opportunity because they were looking at this bill. So we would go and talk to these board members. I was driving. It would take me anywhere from two and a half to three hours to get there. I'm getting off work and driving up there. Three hours one way. I'm staying there for three hours, then driving back. So while I'm doing this, I'm working 50 hours a week. Mm -hmm. I'm going to school for four trades. I've got a wife and three kids at home and a huge reptile collection mm. on top of the many other things I'm doing. Yeah, if I what's your excuse? Do that, I'm, <laughs> I'm, yeah, I, I'm doing that. I was doing that every week for eight months, sometimes twice a week. Uh-huh. I'm not saying that everybody needs to get involved to that level, but you're telling me that if somebody sets up a lobby day one time, you can't take a vacation day from work or a sick day and come down to try to preserve your rights to own those reptiles, and not just for you, but for your children as well and your grandchildren. Yeah, it's funny because you know, the same people that been... are saying that are the same ones that are like, when everything gets banned, they're like, well, what the hell? How'd this yeah, happen? It's like, well, you didn't try. Oh, oh yeah. They're, <laughs> guys, they're the first what, ones to speak out. And, and then they want to get involved after it's too late. Right. Yeah. Uh, we we can't have done. this. we got to do something about the. Well, you had your opportunity. You just chose not to show up. And, I mean, it's to the point that trying to get people to even write letters. Because, again, with this Virginia thing, I was 
if you can't show up, write a letter. Not only mail that letter, send it to me. I'll hand deliver it for you. Anything is better than nothing. It was just to get people to mail me a letter or email me a letter that I could print off and put in an envelope and hand deliver for them. We got some, not nearly the number that you would hope to. Right. Well, the one thing I've been curious Um, about is, you know, when legislation for, you know, like the New Hampshire thing that happened recently, and I don't even know what the result of that was, um, is, I mean, are these politicians even paying attention to any of the, the stuff they get sent in from people that don't even live in that state? Because I feel like as a politician, if, if, if I had, you know, as I was in New Hampshire and Jacob Bratz sent me a letter from South Carolina saying this is wrong, I'd be like, well, why the hell does it matter to you? You don't even live here. Some people do and some don't. Um, Arlington kind of didn't take a lot of that because mm-hmm. they were, I don't know how they were able to do it, but through some program or something that they had, they could tell where they were getting emails from around the world because they were getting them as far away as like Sweden. Wow. Um, because these animal rights activists do the same thing that we're doing. They're trying yeah. to get everybody yeah. they can to send letters in to support this, you know, ban or this legislation. Um, and again, I, I can tell you that the form letters, I mean, Maybe if they get 50,000 of them or something, they're kind of like, okay, something's going on here. But it's it's those, you know, those handwritten letters, those get a lot mm-hmm. of attention. Um, and I the, have the sent... The best thing you can do... I have sent emails and using the form, but I, yeah. I erased a good chunk of the form and, you know, put in my actual yeah. opinion and stuff. So it wasn't like verbatim, like, copy-paste... Sam, sure, yeah, yeah. You know, ref- yeah retooled you it a little up bit. That, yeah, um, and 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 that that certainly helps. It, but just filling in the blanks, like I said, you know, they get one of those. It's like okay, and when they get a hundred of them, they're like, eh, yeah. Changing the title and the subject is probably a good idea too, because if they're getting all the same emails <laughs> from people, that subject's going to be the same. They're probably not even going to open it. Yeah, and do multiple things. Send an email. Write a letter. Make a phone call. Um, and do that multiple times. Don't just do it once and go, okay, I did my part. Do it multiple times. Um, a lot of these legislators also have offices. Um, you know, it's not just at the Capitol. They have an office for the area that they represent. So you can set up appointments for them um, and meet with them. And I encourage anybody, get to know your legislators. Even if there isn't any legislation on the table, go meet with them. You don't have to talk about reptile-specific stuff. Find something that you are at least have some interest in and just go talk to them and, you know, find out where, you know, what they, it'll, how they feel about that subject. Yeah, it'll put a face to the name. Your face. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, do that occasionally so that when something does come up, they're going to go, hey, I know you. Mm-hmm. They're, they're going to listen. They're going to be more more apt to listen to you if they recognize that face, especially if you build a friendly relationship with them. Um, and I know I'm kind of rambling on here. And I'll try to finish this up real quick. But when you go to meet with these legislators, even if they are just not seeing, you know, you're not seeing eye to eye with them. Um, you got to maintain your composure. You got to be yeah. polite. Thank you for. 
thank them for their time. Um, show up semi well dressed. You know, you don't need to show up in a suit and tie, but you know, nice collar top shirt and a pair of khakis or something. Right. Um, yeah, you know, formal. You know, go in there with your clothes that you just got done cleaning your all your cages with you know and you got snake poop all over you don't, <laughs> certainly don't show up like that yeah uh try to represent the the hobby in a in a good light a professional um, and, again, and proper manner you're you're, you're gonna exactly. have that you're gonna have that yeah. animal rights activist showing up in blood oh i'm so sorry i just yeah. got done cleaning my retic cage <laughs> i just got done yeah, sacrificing we... this gerbil <laughs> We actually, in 2012, and we kind of did this in Arlington, um, you know, we were very nice and pleasant to deal with, but it got to the point that we're like, please stop coming to our office. You know? <laughs> we'll give you what you yeah, want. <laughs> Just leave us alone. Yeah. For the love of God, we you can keep your snake thing. We had one of the uh, sponsors for one of the bills actually tell, we showed up at her office and she's like, I'm tabling the bill. I'm sorry that I ever uh, uh, sponsored this. I'm not pursuing this any further. Please stop calling us. Please stop sending us letters, and please stop showing up at our office. <laughs> That's <We> awesome. <laughs> that yeah. is so awesome, um, man. I bet that was an so amazing feeling. It, it was. Unfortunately, what happened with that is uh, it was in the House and the Senate, and what they ended up doing was sending it for a study. So they ended up doing a um, work group, and they did a roundtable where they did a series of meetings, and they had people from both sides show up. So um, HSUS was there, PETA, uh, ASPCA, Feld Entertainment, who owns Ringling or owned Ringling Brothers. Um, they actually showed up because they were in a huge battle on them with them over, uh, it's an interesting story if you look it up, but over, uh, an elephant, um, we had veterinarians there, um, animal control officers, first responders. And let's see, that's another thing that these, uh, animal activists will put in there, you know, to kind of, drive home their point is first responders you know if a first responder has to go into a house and you've got these uh, reptiles in there it's a danger to our first responders mm -hmm. so, um when we had the round table in arlington bill Goss brought up a very good point with well actually uh, as far as the snakes go uh in a in a fire they're going to be the first to, to perish right um you know they've got one working lung and they can't tolerate the smoke or the heat so they perish very quickly so that's not going to be an issue for you know for a firefighter going yeah. into a house uh we actually were able to talk to some first responders and actually had some first responders show up uh, to support us and there oh, wow. we had a police officer say hey look you know when i got to go through a door i'm not worried about if somebody's got a a large snake in the house i'm worried about that you know 85 pound dog mm -hmm. right that's coming after me when i go through that door you know we've got bigger issues than you know this i know that the snake's not going to be coming after me yeah um but i mean the, 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 they'll stop at no length to try to get their their agenda pushed mm -hmm. um, 
again, it's a, it's a learning experience. I encourage anybody, you know, to, uh, it, it blew me away when I jumped into this in 2012, just how crazy this is and how important it is. With and, and it's not doubt. just for reptiles. It's any, it's, it's anything that you're, you've got a passion on that the government wants to take away from you. Mm-hmm. You should get involved in that. For sure. Well, I mean, shit, in New York, you can't even get a drink over, like, 16 ounces anymore. Yeah, I mean, like, I, I'm God. a firm believer in, you know, if I, if you want to do something, you should be able to do it as long as it's not harming anybody else. Agreed. Right. And if it does harm somebody else, then you should be held accountable for it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So, if I've got a great big snake and it gets loose and it kills somebody... Hold me responsible for that. Yeah, but until then, you shouldn't tell me that I can or can't own whatever. You know, if right. I want to drink a sixty-four ounce monster cup of yeah, I mean that's <laughs> my prerogative. You know, if I want to die young, damn it, I'm going to do it. Can't do that. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Right. Right. Um, I'm going to eat that two Big Macs and drink it down with a Red Bull. <laughs> See you yeah. in the afterlife. None of my buddy. business. Yeah, <laughs> I'm the one who has to hard, have a heart attack at 25, not you. Yeah. Yep. Uh, exactly. But with all that said, I think it is going to be about time for us to wrap yeah, this up. We're at about two hours. Yeah, right at about a two-hour episode. Um, but David, man, we really appreciate you coming on and uh, schooling us about scrub pythons and. Um, yeah, definitely. Thank you for sharing about your experience with, uh, with fighting for Absolutely. fighting for us. If I may real quick, if you have any interest in scrubs, check us out on Facebook at scrub pythons, or you can type in the amethystina project. Uh, we're also on, um, Instagram. You can find us there. If you have any questions about legislation, if I can share any insights, contact me, uh, Message me through Instagram or, or Facebook. I'll be happy to, to do whatever I can. Same with the scrubs. You got questions about scrubs? I'm always up for talking scrubs. Yeah, man. Uh, guys, and I can I can say this firsthand because, you know, the, the one scrub I do have, I purchased from David. And, guys, you know, he's he's one of the best in the business. Um, I would, you know, anybody who asks me about scrubs, you know, I, I send them to I send them to David. Um, he, great guy obviously from as you can tell very passionate about what he does and very good at what he does so guys hit him up absolutely he's he's the real deal (laughs) but uh david yeah we really appreciate uh you coming on and uh and talking with us man absolutely anytime all right david have a good night thanks bye all right that was a that was a long one. That was a long one. It was a long one, but it was a good we gotta one. You got to get my car. It was a long one, but it was a good one. Well, it was you a good one. You shouldn't have drank yourself stupid at the That's dang restaurant. That's why I was so quiet this whole episode, y'all. I was... Jacob made it very clear that I will not make a fool of myself this episode. Yeah. In the restaurant, which I laughed at and continued to eat my tortilla chips. Yeah, but you did my good. My tortilla chips. You did good. You sat in your corner and you stayed quiet. You didn't get I st- threw some little... 
You didn't get snippets of wisdom in yeah, there. Yeah, you did, but you but you didn't get stupid on me. Right? I didn't get stupid on you. There's there's a line. That anyway, you were good. I'm proud of you. Episode 32. Subscribe via SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify. Please check out our Facebook page. Pick up a shirt. Support the show. Check Couple out cool fish designs. Head. Check out Fish Head Diagnostics. Thank you once again to our fish <laughs> our, our Fish Head Diagnostics sponsor and for our weekly Nido question. If yes. you have any, please. Questions about Nido, please hit us up. If you're looking for an exotic vet, it's not that hard now. No. We have the internet. You can yeah. go to arav.org. Yeah. Arav.org or arav.com. <laughs> Let's find out real quick. Real quick, because we got to wrap this up. Come on. It is arav.org. It's the Association of Reptile and Amphibian Veterinarians. There is a whole... Uh, directory where you can find an exotic vet um your vet does need to be a member with araf to be listed on there so it's not just going to pop up anyone but if you want a good spot to look for vets first that's probably the first place you should go good starting point it is a very good starting point and um big 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 thank you to david means uh from the amethystina project guys seriously check them out if you're even remotely interested in scrub pythons um david's the guy to guy one of one of the top guys in the u.s to talk to you've got all the guys like brandon wheeler we had him on an earlier episode Mm Another awesome guy working with scrub pythons. Um, there's a few Scott guys. Scott Borden. Scott Borden as well. He works with the Moluccans. Um, there's a handful of people in the in the states working with scrubs, but on a on a real serious level, you know, David's definitely definitely one of the top players, guys. Um, I, I I don't have enough good things to say about him. Um, if you're looking for quality quality and that's that's the guy that him is him and chris yeah chris chris foley him and chris foley who chris foley yes we do also have to give a shout out to him he's the other half of the amethystina project um i we do want to have him on here in the near future um we've got to talk with him and hopefully we can get him on to uh to talk about some of the stuff that he works with because they both keep maybe uh, get more into the amethystina project in general since we didn't really get to touch on that too much (laughs) yeah yeah maybe we can try and get both of them on uh next time if we can do uh do a two-way call make one happen but we'll make it happen um Next week, episode 33, right now we have Melissa and Joe from Port City Pythons and from the ground up lined up for next week's episode, so that'll be good. Yep. Uh, Real excited about that. Us podcaster people like to help each other out. Yeah. They come on our show, or we go on their show, they come on our show. Yeah. We like to... Yeah. And they're just fun to talk to. They're good people. Yeah. Joe's awesome, man. that, That episode we did with him was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was. I enjoyed that. Yeah, Joe Phelan. Great guy. Top notch. I, I would give you a round of applause, Joe, but I really wish you guys could have seen <laughs> Smitty do that. That was beautiful, honestly. I wanna All put right. I wanna put that on a shirt. You just like holding your arms up like this in a clap. Like naked got, like... sitting in like a, no, like no, a okay. yoga no, pose. Nope, never mind. That's okay. Nope. All right. Episode thirty one.
32. Buy a shirt, subscribe. This is 32. What is this? This is 32, 32. buddy. Episode 32. Buy a shirt, subscribe. Don't buy a shirt if you don't want to. But if you want to buy a we shirt. We really appreciate it if would, you do. We would really appreciate I it. I like to think the designs are pretty cool. Yeah. I've been busting my ass yeah, making them we're happen. Try, we're really trying to get this out there, guys. There's, there's not many, if any, Herp Apparel websites out there, so... Justin and I are going to be doing what we can to get shirts out to you guys, get some cool designs. And uh, if you have any design ideas, let us know. And we'll see if we like them. And maybe your design. We will, will figure out a papaya thing. Yes. I got everybody excited, yeah, man. Everyone's been wanting papaya ooh, shirts. And I don't, ooh, oh, my God. All right. We're done now. Dude, that idea is amazing. Everybody wants it. Let's make it happen. You I'll draw dude, it I'll, up. I'll, I'll pay. I'll pay to have the logo made. Don't worry, guys. I got y'all. Since Justin's being a little party pooper about it, I'm gonna make it happen. Okay. I, I don't care what. Go right on ahead. Yeah, I will. For those yeah. of you that have bought shirts, we really appreciate it. Yes, thank you all, everybody. They actually came out very well. A lot well. of people are I'm getting... I'm wearing mine right yeah, now. Yeah, a lot of people are getting the... And I, I'm, I'm legitimately surprised at the amount of detail that yeah, it's to get. Yeah, it's awesome, like, I was dude. really thinking all I this was going to be like solid, like all these fine no. lines. I thought those were just going to be solid yellow, but they got the whole texture yeah, and everything. That's, it looks really good. Everybody, it looks great. So far, <laughs> stop rubbing your, your, your man tits. My titties? My titties? Did you rub my titties? <laughs> It's time to go. We'll see y'all later. (laughs) Later, y'all.